Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. All right, welcome back to another episode here on the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. I am your host, uh, Mitch Robbins, as always, joined by Adam Sapi. We are from the Anthony Michael Group, helping organizations across the MedTech industry uh, to build high-performing teams. And on Wednesdays at 11 o'clock Pacific, 2 o'clock Eastern, we run this live session. Um, we are building out a community uh, called the MedTech Talent Lab, um, where we talk about a different talent topic each and every week, live together as a group. Um, if you are interested in joining, you could simply join the MedTech Talent Lab community on LinkedIn and get details from there as far as how to get into these sessions. Um, simultaneously, we uh, have the opportunity to host best-in-class leaders straight from this industry on all things talent-related as well. Make sure to check that out wherever you consume podcast content. Today, we are going to dig into the ins and outs of contract staffing. Some call it contract staffing. Some call it contingent work. Uh, some call it interim, uh, but in essence, all of those words mean the same thing, which is bringing in um, hired guns or, or um, additional help on a temporary basis. And so today, I, I, with the group uh, live here in the community, I want to uh, talk really basically the, the benefits and maybe some of the deficits as to why uh, or what companies should be thinking about when talking about contingent help, as well as what's in it for candidates. Why should candidates maybe start thinking about uh, the ideas of doing some contract work? So I will, uh, I'll get us started here and really just kind of throw out a few things. Um, shorter hiring process, instant impact, fresh perspective, flexibility, um, if uh, the person is not working out and kind of being able to pivot much faster than hiring somebody full time. But th there really are a number of reasons that companies hire contractors or interim leadership or contingent help. A um, couple of things that come to mind are critical projects that absolutely can't be delayed. Um, turnarounds. Maybe the company's going through a turnaround where they need to hire somebody to come in and really set the table, uh, so to speak, for the full-time leaders that are going to uh, be coming uh, behind them. Um, providing stability while recruiting full-time. Sometimes it takes quite, quite some time to hire the right uh, individual, and so providing that stability uh, throughout the hiring process. Uh, covering for temporary leaves of absence. So, for example, somebody is going to be out on maternity leave for 12 weeks. What are we going to do in the meantime? So bringing in a contractor. Uh, or let's say the company is going through some huge technology implementations, bringing in uh, staff to help augment current staff because of the amount of the uh, workload that is on the team. Um, but when candidates can be interviewed within 72 hours with the selected candidate ready to start within a week, it's a pretty big value proposition to consider, uh, obviously, for all of these reasons. So, uh, guys, thanks for being here today. Heather, Shandon, Adam, how's everybody doing? Doing great. <clears throat> Good. Fantastic. 
What's your perspective? Adam, you've got a, a boatload of experience bringing in contracts with companies. I'm sure Heather, Shandon, you guys have experience, you know, being on the company side and bringing in contractors. Uh, where, you know, where have you seen this make sense for the business? Yeah, if I could lead. Uh, so, yeah, I've been doing this for almost, you know, going on nine years and we're seeing a huge uptick recently, obviously, with the economic downturn, you know, fear of recession. I think the CEO uh, poll recently, I think that was through Forbes, said 91% of U.S. CEOs anticipate a recession in the next 12 months. I think almost 60% of them uh, are considering layoffs, uh, reduction in force, you know, whatever terminology they want to use within the next three or four months. Um, so, yeah, all the reasons you said, and, and I think two really come to light right now. One is with the layoffs. You know, we're seeing posts on LinkedIn every hour, unfortunately, or minutes, you know, by by minutes and, and people are are feeling the pain there. And then the hiring managers, too. You know, I've, I've unfortunately been in that spot where I've had to lay off people on my team and it and it stinks, you know, and then especially if they have families and a mortgage and everything else. So this is one way to avoid that. Hey, gosh, it's nearly impossible to forecast the demand three months out, let alone 15 months out. So bring somebody in that's a true subject matter expert that can get the work done. And then if, you know, if demand wanes in four months, it's a much easier, you know, conversation, I think, to let that person go because they knew going into it, it's an at will, you know, contingent con consulting agreement versus, hey, I moved to, <laughs> I moved geographically or I quit my job and I joined you. And now four months later, you're you're letting me go. That that stinks. The second one, and I've seen this happen twice in the last 30 days, 40 days, where it's that honeymoon phase, right? I, I think I think the opportunity to reduce mishires is huge here because if you bring somebody on as a you know contract two perm or even just bringing them on as a consultant without even really the 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 thought of hiring them full time. And they come in and in, in, in you know 30 days or 45 days, it's clear that they like working with the team. They're doing a really good job, and it's a it's a match made in heaven. Then you convert them over. I mean, that's a much better, you know, much stronger hire than just going through three or four interviews. So I think that piece gets underlooked. It's a really good honeymoon phase, a trial period where you're trying each other out, and then if it's a good fit, then you make it official. And if not, that's okay. You signed up for six months, you know, do your time, and and on to the next one. The pushback to that, though, Adam, is it's a, it's a great benefit for companies to try before you buy, so to speak. But finding yeah. a talent pool that is willing to do a try before you buy, uh, especially in our market, is is super tough because most people are employed who are looking for full time work. Um, I think where you and I have seen success is that a, is a contractor who's been doing contract work, but is open to the idea of, hey, I think I might get off the road, so to speak, and I'm open yeah. to those uh attempt to hire situations thoughts thoughts on that yeah have you guys have you guys here. seen a success um in your own organization's first attempt to hire situation or where where have yeah. you been able to leverage contract help the best i've seen you know more success in in the more entry level roles with that you know attempt hmm. to hire i've personally done a you know a contract with a company just because they're in the area it was kind of like the ticket ticket off your your career list um and i'm glad i did it as a contractor versus fte i hated it hmm. um i think that as i've talked to leaders especially in the higher um up in the more niche technical roles and and heather can weigh in on this because that's her area of expertise um it is a lot harder to find those subject matter experts willing right. to try before they buy um 
and so it it um it does work and and um but not generally for those harder to fill you know mid-career to later career positions yeah because you think about what's driving someone at that point in their lives um and just what's your motivation for seeking work and um not to generalize but you know sometimes at certain points in your career like you touched on earlier that person might have a family to provide for and so you weigh things a bit differently and they may start to kind of weigh that stability factor um, much higher than you know that chance to try out the the company or maybe a new industry um, but at the same time too um, to, to Shannon's point um, yeah sometimes we have seen uh, folks who you know they probably would have never gotten a chance to work in a specific field you know the companies would be too gun shy to take a chance on them because they don't have the proven experience and you know something like regulatory affairs i've seen that come up you know yeah. they don't have this track record of experience but you know otherwise they're hitting all the marks with being that great teammate and so the hiring manager you know is like well it's a contract so we can we can try it out and sure enough, they kind of get in and um, they're that go-getter. They prove themselves. Sometimes the contract does have to end. But if they have done their job at building strong relationships with other parts of the business, um, I've seen them go on to apply then to other jobs within the yeah. company. They're now a known entity mm -hmm. and have this track record of how well they did on the assignment. And that does go a long way. And thankfully, I've seen some of them in the past even find another home, you know, at the same yeah. uh, company and mm -hmm. um, stay on. So, yeah, it, it's a really interesting, really interesting subject. You know, great way, of course, to always manage uncertain uncertainties. Well, and that's a great, yeah. you know, circle back to what Adam said. You know, the KPMG is the one who put out the study and they say 91 percent of CEOs are predicting that, yes, we're going to be in a, a pretty thick recession at some point uh, next mm -hmm. year. But yet all these critical deliverables and critical projects need to continue to be dealt with. And so uh, kind of minimizing your um, risk, but at the same time still being able to get your work done, it's a great fit when it comes to, comes to contract staffing. I want to talk about the other side of this where it might not make sense. Um, one of the things I want to bring up is I've seen people stay on for a year, two years as a contractor, yeah. and we're talking hundreds mm -hmm. of thousands of dollars. And I'm always amazed where a company will say, well, we don't have the budget to hire somebody full time, but yet we've got this other bucket for contract staffing. To me, I don't understand because yes, there's different buckets, um, on, on somebody's operating, uh, statement, right? I get that. But at the same time, it's still the, comp the, the company's overarching money that we're talking about. In one way, shape, or form, it all rolls up to the company. But when we're talking a year, two years, with the average turnover of a full-time hire being roughly two and a half years, I don't understand it. I'm wondering, has anybody seen this? Does anybody have any pushback why it does make sense? Because I'm trying to make make heads from no. tails as, as I, why it does. No. I think so, too. And it's, it's especially funny, not only, A, we don't have it budgeted. We have it budgeted, but we won't go from 110 to 120,000 to land the, our selected candidate, but we'll spend $200,000 in, in, you know, an interim for the next seven, eight months. Mm -hmm. I, I don't understand it either. 
I think when it's overkill, yeah, that's when it, it might not make sense. So if you are, Heather, you mentioned regulatory. It's a great, uh, great opportunity for, for this where it can make sense. Hey, we have two 510Ks we need to get approved in the next 90 days. Now, rather than train somebody from the post-market side or whatever else, hey, let's bring in Carrie. She's done 17 yeah. 510Ks. She can knock these out in her sleep. Great. Mm -hmm. Done. Or we have 20 CERs we need to get done. That's awesome. To Mitch's point where, hey, we're, we're paying somebody $150, $200, an hour for the next two years or three years. They have to be really, the ROI has to be there. They have to be really complex um, projects. And in many cases, I think you could certainly maybe bring that same person in for 45 days and help, you know, and ask her or him to help train and, and uh, onboard somebody else on your team or a new hire that you're you're hiring for a full-time role in that case i don't know that bringing somebody on on a contract basis makes makes the most sense or we don't have the yeah. money for a headhunter but we do have money to bring in a contractor yeah, yeah we've seen that before too what it's funny. yeah <laughs> yeah and and that's where you know on the rare occasion i have seen the, those longer term contractors work well like we've had some um, in our company's history, we've had some really sticky situations to get into, like, um, or to get ourselves out of, like, when um, there was a warning letter from the FDA. We brought in those those SMEs who yeah. really knew their stuff and could help yeah. us get through this. And it's not something that happens overnight. Um, but I think that, you know, for a hiring manager, I will be the first person to politely say, what the hell are you thinking? Um, like I'll, I'll make you a deal, hire this person full time. And then you can give that difference in money to me and I'll give you that. <laughs> um, because really when you're looking at the, the cost, if your project's going to last longer than a year, bring them on full time, Yeah. bring them on full time. Otherwise you are just lighting money on fire. And if it's your finance team saying that, man, I would get in there and sit down with your finance person and say, all right, you know, you got to explain this to me because I have a bucket of money for the year. And this is how I thought it was going to be. But now I need to move some pennies around. Why can't I do that? Right. But that's just you know, me. The other thing to consider, too, is when you're bringing people in and out, even on short term, it does have it a, 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 some sort of impact on uh, the culture of the of the team. Because mm -hmm. people are in and out, they're you know having to constantly get people up to speed. Um, it's sometimes a revolving door with contractors, so that that is mm -hmm. one thing to keep in mind. When we look at all of this, though, as far as the fresh perspective, the time, the short amount of time to be able to bring somebody in and have them make immediate impact. When we weigh all that stuff, I still think it, it makes a lot of sense for so many cases for businesses. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the candidate piece, though, because there's a lot of folks out there now who are seeing their colleagues go off, start doing contract work, and they're making twice to two and a half times more than uh, than they are on a full time basis. And they've got flexibility to where they could work. They can work as much as they want and make it just crush it. They could work six months out of the year and take the other six months off. But I, I want to try to give an accurate picture of what does it look like for for contractors? What what is this all about? So one reason to consider is maybe you've had a full-fledged career and you're starting to uh think about riding off to the sunset but you're like ah, i don't really just want to sit around or i don't want how much you know how many reruns or how much golf can i really play um and you still want to keep busy you can pick and choose the projects that you work on 
yeah. on a contract basis, right? That's one reason. Uh, another reason that I just mentioned was the flexibility factor. Maybe you don't want to work the whole year. Maybe you want to, you know, six months out of the year, you're in Phoenix, and the other six months, you're, you're busting your butt uh, working on, on contract work. Um, but, you know, the, the other piece of it is people are like, I'm a little worried that if I do make the leap and I do contract work, maybe there's not enough stability. Maybe I can't keep myself as busy as I want to be. I, I don't know. I feel like there's enough agencies out there who need contractors that really good experienced people that I believe that if you're a hustler and you network yourself with agencies that you'll always have work. Do you, what do you guys think as far as the benefits to somebody looking to do contract versus maybe some eye-opening stuff that they should keep in mind before they decide to do this? I have I think a lot on the topic. Is, I'll let uh, Shannon yeah, and Heather start. I, I think what you said is, you know, that you got to, you've got to be a bit of a hustler. You need to be really well networked to kind of have that um, stability. And some people are really comfortable doing that. Others aren't, or you need to have a, you know, a small handful or one agency that is really good at what they do and can advocate for you and has enough um, clients. But yeah, I mean, I know somebody, they've retired like four times and every time it's like, well, I'll just take a four month contract, especially if you you can do those short contracts. Those are so hard for people to fill. And oftentimes yeah. they're, they're willing to pay higher amount because it's a mm -hmm. shorter yeah they'll pay a premium and it's like well yeah. i want to remodel my kitchen so i'll just go work for four months and then, right and then do that yeah well yeah, and i've seen that on the telenet yeah and it's fun right like the talent acquisition side i see that a lot some of my friends that i've worked with and partnered with at, at companies they're like i want to do this nine month you know, contract at this particular company, because this is the it place to be right now. We're going to hire, you know, 350 people. That to me is fun. Once we level off and, and the complacency sets in, that's not as much fun. So I want to jump off and go do that again somewhere else. Um, you know, and yeah, I mean, they're, get, there's, they're getting a nice premium too. So um, I think there's a ton of it. And I think, you know, with the gig economy, we've seen specifically in med tech, you know, they're, they're predicting over 60% of the workforce by 2025 being, on the in what we're talking about a contingent piece where it's not like hey i work for abbott i work for medtronic i work for fill in the blank company i came in for a nine-month project with them now i'm off to do it again that's what we're going to see more and more and more of um, and i think this recession pending recession is probably going to we're going to see that big uptick in bringing people in and then by the time it's over now we're already, you know, in those, you know, that time frame, 2024, 2025, when the gig economy is really taking full speed ahead, then I think there's no turning back. We're, we're going to see 60, 70, 80% of any company's workforce falling into this bucket that we're talking about right now. Well, and I want to solidify that because thanks. Thank you to Adam. Adam saw an article in Forbes and they quoted uh, Intuit. Intuit uh, is the producer of QuickBooks and maybe some other stuff that I don't know about, but QuickBooks is one of the big ones. As of last year, they said 80% of large US corporations plan to increase the use of a flexible workforce in the coming years with contingent workers making up over 40% of the total workforce. And it says, in addition, 62% of enterprises perceive contingent labor as a vital component of their overall workforce. So it just goes to, like, as far as when we talk about the gig economy, like it's not just it's happening. Buzz, like it's yeah. literally, uh, shifting that way. So Do you um, think that might yeah. be because of a shift of the, you know, the different concentrations of the generations that are now in the workforce. 
I think so. I see, I see the, I won't say boomers, but the people we talked to, you know, talked about, Hey, you're at the twilight of your career. You want to one, pay it forward. You want to two remodel your, your kitchen. You want to do those things. So they fit perfectly. Um, also, yeah, people aren't going to work for a company for 40 years and get a gold watch and sail off to the sunset. They're just not, mm -hmm. you know, especially a 22, 23 year old, you know, person. I was going to say kid because mm -hmm. I'm old now. Um, but, but yeah, so this is very attractive to them too. Hey, come in, work on this cool project. One, it's a huge resume builder for you, mm -hmm. but come in for eight months and do it. And then spend a month in Costa Rica, recharge your batteries, and then go out and do another six month thing. Man, if I was that age, that signed me up for that. That was amazing. Totally. I didn't know of those opportunities when I was at, you know, at that age. That's perfect. That sounds amazing, especially if you, you know, in any, in any life circumstance, but yeah. So I think to your point, absolutely. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense for, you know, for, for the changing of the guard. Um, you know, Mitch and I were yeah. just talking about that yesterday mm -hmm. at lunch. <clears throat> There's and less of that incentive anymore with like the, you know, when they used to offer pensions and now that's gone. So yep. there's just less yep. of an incentive yeah. to stay for the long term. Um, yep. I know a lot of concerns I usually hear from folks thinking about contract is it is on the benefit side. I mean, especially if you're in yep. America and you're dealing with healthcare um, insurance and, you know, maybe you can get it through the staffing agency, but I do hear a lot of concerns about that and just kind of having something reliable, especially with all these various, you know, health catastrophes and whatnot happening. Um, yeah. I know that's usually like the big question mark for people's minds. Um, and, you know, as right or wrong as it is, one thing just to be aware of that I talk to hiring managers about all the time is that if you are contracting steadily for an extended amount of time, um, hiring managers frequently do have this stigma about, you know, how much of a flight risk you're going to yeah. be. Um, and, you know, oftentimes the conversation is about how things are changing. And like we're talking about, someone doesn't just go to one company and stays there the rest of their career. But that's definitely something that exists out there. I hear about it. Um, all the time. Uh, yeah. So that's just one thing to be aware of if you are going into that route is that hiring managers will often have a lot of questions about, okay, well, you were there for such a short amount of time. How much impact did you actually have? Yeah. You bring up. That's a really good point. Heather. Excellent <laughs> points. So as far as the benefits, I always say, well, yeah, that's why you get paid a premium because of the benefits. <laughs> right. so, so get, get the benefits on your own or even a lot of these agencies spouse that or I partner. know of, like yeah. our big back office companies that we work with, they'll start to offer the benefits to their bench to, of yeah. contractors. Yeah. So there are ways around that. As far as what you said about the stigma around, hey, they've done this person's got 10 years of experience, but eight of them have been doing contract. Uh, let's pass because I don't think that they want to be here or that they're going to stay. There's so much bias around this. Yeah. And so I want to break this down for a minute. I, I believe that somebody who's got eight years of contract experience has seen way more than somebody who's been at a, at a company for eight years, the same company, or even two companies. Or two companies. And, and the amount of fires now. that they've been put into, the amount of actionable situations where they had to deliver, otherwise they didn't necessarily have a, a contract anymore, are are tremendous and so how can an organization leverage that experience and milk that for what it's worth the flip side is okay um this person is used to 
you know, moving very quickly. They're used to lots of rapid change. Are they going to get bored? Are they going to leave us because we don't have enough to occupy them? I get that. What I would say, my professional recommendation is, is to vet them just like you would vet any other candidate thoroughly. You're going to screen them based on experience and experience that they have that will help indicate future success based on the priorities you have that you need help with. You're going to vet them against how are they going to potentially integrate with the rest of your team, the rest of your organization. You're going to perhaps leverage backdoor references of talking to people who have leveraged their skills in the past and what do they say. Um, and in an unbiased fashion, you're not soliciting references from the candidate. You're going out and doing this yourself or having somebody do it for you, talking to people that they've worked for that's perfectly legal. It's called a backdoor reference. But I would definitely, definitely, for those listening, encourage you not to just rule these people out prematurely. There's so much gold in these people's backgrounds. Or there even, are, and I was going to say, recognizing that bias, and and I think it's a it's a logical one, right? Like I I see it too. Hey, if I'm hiring somebody that's been on the road or you know done have, has done you know consulting for the last six years, man, what is the confidence I have that they're going to be here for two or three or four years? I totally get it. So as a recruiter, I'm I'm really fleshing out with the candidate. What is your why? You know, and if it's, I just had this recently. Hey, I I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. I've been on the road for seven years. My daughter is going to high school now. My daughter is going to college. Whatever you know, the scenario is. She's begging me, stay off the road, be home with me. I'm trying to repair that relationship, whatever it is. And for that reason, I'm 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 put. You know, for the next two or three or four years. And then I push back. Well, what if you get that call? You know, two weeks from now, three hundred dollars an hour for a six month contract doesn't matter. My, my daughter, my relationship with my daughter is much more important. Okay. I can, I can use that information for the client. Um, but it's gotta be, there's gotta be a really compelling why for, for both parties to, to consider that. Um, and then to your point, Mitch, you know, interview them just like you normally would. And if there's that risk, there's always the contract to hire, which we discussed earlier in the show too, or maybe you bring them on for 90 days with the hope of they'll, they'll, you know, convert over and stay. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on this piece, whether it's from the, the company side or the candidate side that you guys would like to add? Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's that, um, yeah, there's kind of that conception that, yeah, we can move really fast with contractors, but like you, Adam, just said, and you, Mitch, it's maybe don't move quite so fast. Yes. Still take your time, do your due diligence, formally interview them as you would. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to maybe go to quite the extremes you would go for a full timer. But um, yeah, take the time to really get to know their motivations and what's driving them. And, and mm -hmm. to your point, Heather, about the, um, you know, when you're talking about whether or not to look at somebody from a full-time perspective that's been doing a lot of contract, it is a legitimate concern. Hey, have they actually been there long enough to see this project through? Have they just started it? Have they come in on the back end? Um, right. And that may all be true, but you're not going to know unless you actually take the time to vet them out just as you would another full-time hire. Yeah, because we hear about that in medical device, right? Because the yep. project life cycle, it takes so long compared to other industries. So if you see someone and they've just been there a short time, it's like, well, you maybe only saw that phase of the project, but you really haven't seen full cycle. That's something we're looking for. So that's kind of a common theme um, just for folks to be aware of that I, I hear from hiring managers. But to play devil's advocate, most FTEs haven't been there long enough to see the full cycle through. <laughs> anyway. Back to the two and a half years now <laughs> that I was telling you about. 
Yeah, I, I, I have had that conversation <laughs> with many a leader. I'm like, okay, so this is a five-year cycle. Most people don't stay in their roles for that long. You are a great example of that hiring manager. <laughs> right, right, right. That's funny. Well, good stuff, guys. Thank you. Thank yeah. you again so much for being here. Each and every Wednesday, guys, live, 11 o'clock Pacific, 2 o'clock Eastern, all with another topic on talent. Check out the MedTech Talent Lab podcast, the rest of the episodes where we've got a variety of uh, uh, guests from across the industry on the show as well. And uh, we will see you again next week. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.